On this podcast, we've covered what are considered to be some of the greatest films of all time. Jaws, Titanic, Goodwill Hunting, and The Exorcist. We've also discussed some wonderful forgotten gems. But what about the thousands of movies that fall in between? The average fare that get forgotten over time. Those films stick with the few they connected with, but mostly fade into obscurity. Today, we're giving one of those films a second chance. The 2000 sports comedy, The Replacements. This football movie starring Keanu Reeves and Academy Award winner Gene Hackman is one of those films from the early 2000s that you may remember seeing at some point. Maybe you caught it airing on HBO or Stars on some random afternoon. The replacements, like a lot of films of this era, doesn't particularly stand out. During the early 2000s, these mid-budget films didn't capture the attention of film pundits like the large blockbusters or the indie darlings did. So they exist mostly under... Do you remember that one movie status? I even had trouble finding any information about the making of this movie outside of a 10 minute HBO The Making Of segment that was mostly played as a big joke. Helmed by coming of age directing icon Howard Deutsch with a script by actor turned screenwriter Vince McEwen, The Replacements featured a handful of big name actors as well as a pretty large group of up and comers including Orlando Jones, John Favreau, Reese Ifans, David Denman, and Faison Love who all gave the film everything they had. They even went through a strenuous training camp to embody their pro athlete characters. But even so, The Replacements was looked at as an easy, consumable, fun film. And for the most part, it was received that way. The Replacements premiered in movie theaters in August of 2000 on a budget of $50 million. The film grossed approximately $50.1 million at the box office, likely losing the studio some money. Many critics at the time called the film broad and cliche, which are fair points, but despite the rough edges, there is a likable charm to it. Some folks, like myself, remember this film fondly, but have never sat down to reflect on why it seems to have stuck around in our minds. So today, we're giving this film a second chance as we ask the question, The Replacements. What's it about? I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. I'm Seth Crow. I'm Megan Brannon. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth and Megan, how you doing today? Good. How are you? How are you guys? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys good. doing? I survived the hurricane. Nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, that sounded not great. But it's the damage was less than they thought it would be. Oh, so much less. That's oh, good. Like they, and he, here's here's my perspective. I was talking to my sister about this yesterday. So it, the storm itself, at least in my area of the of the city, was not bad at all. It, we we've had worse regular storms. As far as like what I could felt and experience, like the there was a lot of rain, but we've had heavier rain. We've had worse storms. Uh, apparently the winds were were bad in certain areas of town not in my area um but what something i've seen is people kind of like making fun of it like being like you know oh they made us all all feel this and that and and it was it wasn't even anything and i was like i see some people making light of the fact that it wasn't a very bad storm which bothers me a little bit it's like what would you have preferred would you have preferred it was extremely bad and I'd caused rather, yeah. millions and millions of dollars of property damage and pe- a lot of people die? Like, no, I would rather have what, had what we had. I'd rather have been overprepared mm-hmm. and have it not live up to that height than the opposite. 
That that's totally fair. And when I used to, because I grew up in Florida and lived there mm-hmm. until I was twenty five, that always bothered me too. When like, because the last knock on wood, like the last few when I lived there were not as bad as they thought they would be, at least in the area that I was in in Florida. And I, some of my friends were like, well, this was no fun. And a hurricane party didn't last that long and whatever. And I was like, so <laughs> we're fine. Our power's back. We're alive. Our houses are okay. Like people mm. are strange. I always had the worst sense of doom being on vacation and then like having a hurricane warning or whatever. Like, I mean, I didn't live, I didn't live there, you know, like you, you did. But I was always like terrified, absolutely terrified yeah. being yeah. being on vacation and then a hurricane was on the way. It's, I mean, some are really, really bad. They're not, you shouldn't take them lightly, but I also, I don't know. I, I understand there's like an element of growing up there because our like the year that all of those really big ones were going through, like 2005 maybe. I was in like fifth grade and we got, I think like a month off school because it was just like one after the other, like I think cumulatively and it was all in like the same period because it was just one after the other after the other. So like, that's what I think of because that was like a formative experience So whenever a hurricane's coming, that's what I think of. But also like when you live there, you know, you become kind of like, okay, we calmly approach this, Yeah. um, but we should be prepared. And I remember having a friend who was from Canada and um, in like 2017, 2018, it was his first hurricane that he had ever like been through. And he was, he came to stay with me and Miranda, who's my roommate now and who I had lived with like then. And um, yeah, he was like panicking and we had to like, we had to distract him. It was like having a child. We were like, I don't know, watch TV, do anything else, play cards, drink. Like, you know how you make a child drink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All the time. But it's scary. It's scary. You know, it's hard to approach it with that sense of calm if you're not used to it. Well, I was, I was raised Southern Baptist. So like I had, so I, so I just remember being on vacation and having existential doom that the world was ending because of hurricanes. So like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. so like, I, I remember like laying up at night being terrified that, that like the end days were occurring because the hurricane was coming and it was like a sign from the Bible that that bad, like bad weather is supposed to be like one of the like natural disasters, you know? So I just remember being at Myrtle beach and just being like, okay, the world's about to end. This is it. That reminds me of the first time my mom, like I was really into space when I was a kid um, or like learning about space. And my mom gave me like a book that was all about all the planets and on the sun's page, it was like, and the sun will die in like billions and billions of years. And I was like, I was, I don't know, nine. I read that and I was like, there's no point. We're all going to die. And just coming. I don't know how long billions of years are. I know it's far away, but what's the, why are we here? You know, Oh God. I, I grew up in the Midwest and, and so we had a lot of tornadoes where I grew up. Um, so I'm very used to like these like storms. Yeah, those scare preparing. me. Those are, yeah. those are far scarier to me than tornadoes freak me out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you grow up, I wasn't necessarily in like tornado alley, but like we, you know, I grew up by St. Louis, which is like right on the edge of Tornado Alley. So we would get a fair amount of tornadoes, uh, you know, like one to two to three a year. If that, that's we'd have lots of warnings. Lot. Yeah, for so people who've many. never experienced a tornado, uh, it's that's a lot. Um, and we get warnings throughout the year. It's always like, oh, yo, you're on tornado warning. So like, 
the conditions are are prime for a tornado. It doesn't mean they always get one, but we get we get a lot of warnings. Um, I for people who don't know, a warning means hey, the conditions for uh, a tornado are have been met, and so you could get one. So like be prepared. A tornado and watch means you a tornado has touched down. I think it's I, I, I think I, it's reversed. Let me see. Hold on a second. I, I think. No, I don't think no. so. Tornado watch means there could be a tornado. Tornado warning. Yeah, tornado means, watch. Yeah. Tor- tornado no- right? Tornado warning means there is a tornado. Oh. Yeah. No, no, no. I was right. Tor- You're right. Hold on a second. No, no, no. You guys are right. Yeah. Tornado watch means be prepared. Tornado warning means take action. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, there you go. I have a. Ridiculous- that shows you how much I paid attention to it. We, because <laughs> basically it was just like, a, all right, let's all go in the basement and just be ready. And as soon as the sirens stop going off, you'll be I have, I have a ridiculous tornado warning story. Uh, I got like just out of just out of college. I was like still living at home and uh, <coughs> I had recently uh, discovered marijuana. Uh oh. And I got caught smoking marijuana. Uh oh! But it was during a tornado warning, <laughs> so like, so like, we had to go to the basement and talk about my life choices while there was this oh, giant no. storm raging. Like my parents are just like ringing me out, and there's like we're like sitting in a circle with, on wooden chairs in a dark basement, and they're like a nightmare. Yeah, it was classic. it was rough. It was rough. classic. So and then I, I found out recently, I don't, I don't know if I'm not supposed to tell this, but I found out recently that they may have partaken in a recreational activity in Alaska and it makes me want to like set them down in the basement and have a conversation about their life choices. <laughs> That's so Your funny. Parents. You know, it's so funny because my, my I didn't parents say that. Awesome. I didn't say that, man. I didn't say that. <laughs> I love it. My parents are also pretty anti, like, anti, like, marijuana, anti-cannabis type stuff. Um, like, especially growing up, we, you know, they were very much against that. And then in my dad's later years, as he's talking about retirement and stuff like that, I was like, dad, you know, like, what do you want to do for your retirement? He's like, I want to play music. And he's like sending a picture. He wants to get a new puppy. My dad loves fluffy, fluffy little white dogs. So he wants to get a new little white puppy. Um, and he, and one of the things he said was eat, eat my gummies. He wants to get those like the weed gummies and he wants to just play music and eat gummies and hang out with his dog. That's all he wants to do for his <laughs> retirement. I'm fair. like, dang, dad, that sounds like a great retirement. Play music, hang out with the dog and get high. It's really weird to say, what do you want to do for your retirement? Because mm-hmm. that's just like, that's just like, what do you want your life to be when you're not working anymore? What do you want to do until you die? <laughs> hey, look, man, so, look, a lot of us are lucky if we get the chance to retire these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. I just, right. it's just a strange. It's just Speaking a strange... of work and retirement and yeah. things like that, uh, we are talking about The Replacements today, uh, a film that centers around the NFL or an NFL substitute. That's the thing that gets on my nerves the most in this movie. <laughs> that they're not the real they're NFL? They're not NFL teams. And it's just like, I don't know why, it just like, it just takes the stakes right They couldn't out afford of the rights to these teams. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to make them their own up. Um, 
So an, an NFL-like organization, uh, the players go on strike uh, because of salary. And so to finish out the season, they bring in a group of replacement players to finish the season. Um, a bunch of guys who never quite got their shot uh, to put, be in the big leagues get the chance to do so now. It's the um, Mighty Ducks, but with football. Yeah, it's the Mighty Ducks and with uh, grown men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but so I, again, this is one of those movies I saw when I was younger. Uh, I was about nine when this movie came out or about to turn nine. Um, but I didn't see it until a little bit later in my life. But this is, is one of those movies that I like saw on some kind of like cable channel. It was like a net, you know, an HBO uh a stars, a, a Cinemax, something like that. You know what I mean? You know, remember back in the day when we had like yeah. cable and like things would just be on and you'd be like, oh, what's yeah. this? Movies were on. Yeah. 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 So that's when I first saw this movie. And I don't know what, well, I do know, I, after having watched it now, I have a better understanding why I connected to it so much. But at the time, I just thought it was really fun and funny. It was a different football movie because most of the football movies I'd seen up to that point in my life were pretty serious like there weren't a lot of football comedies usually these football movies tended to be take themselves very seriously you think like friday night lights you think remember the titans you think uh i don't know if you guys remember this the rock movie the gridiron gang oh. like like football movies take themselves very seriously most of the time uh and this movie doesn't and i think there was something about that that m made me appreciate it more um, so for you two, was this the first time for both of you seeing this movie or like did like after watching it, you're like, Oh no, I've seen this before. I have never seen it before. Ah. It didn't even look familiar. I mean, other than the fact that it like, it was kind of comforting to watch cause it had, it just reminded me of other movies from that time that mm -hmm. I had watched, but I had never seen this movie. Okay. I never even heard of it. Okay. What was your first time experience like? Um, I, so my relationship with football movies is, um, already, not, it's non-existent, really. Mm. Um, I can't think of really any that I've... like. Not to say that I don't like them. I just haven't seen a lot of them. Like, I haven't seen mm. Remember the Titans. I haven't <gasps> seen... I know. What? I haven't seen Friday... <laughs> I know. I haven't seen Friday Night Lights. I've seen the show, and I do love the show. Um, but not mm. for the football parts. Um, mm. So, I... So, Remember the Titans is not a football movie. I mean, it is a football movie, but... but like, it's a it's, it's a movie it's a about football movie, but it's not a football like it's it's like anyway. an incredible movie. It's an incredible okay. movie. Wow, I've seen the one football movie I remember watching is um, Rudy. Yeah, because my mom loves Sean Astin and loves Rudy. We all do. Yeah, so um, everybody everybody's but... parents have seen Rudy. Yeah, yeah. and their children. <laughs> um, I like I I don't know. It was fun to watch. I I. I, this sounds so stupid and like I'm doing like the – I don't know the rules of football. I mm. truly don't. And I don't – This movie barely does too. I know. Oh, well, I say this – They break some rules yeah, for sure yeah. in this movie. The glue on I the say hands. This, yeah. yeah. Oh, I will talk about the stick -em, man. Yeah. We'll talk about it. I say this lovingly, like I don't know the rules of football and I don't care to learn. Um, football, morally, I'm kind of opposed to football. <laughs> like, I have a lot That's fair. of thoughts. So um, that kind of was hard and I would kind of zone out during those parts. Um, but I liked, I don't know, I liked some of the characters. I love a, like a Motley crew mm -hmm. kind of, lots of 
montages and early 2000s bops. And mm -hmm. yeah, there were some good, good times. I'm not okay. sure that I will remember a lot from it, but that's not to say I hated it. That's okay. And you know, I think I, th I love the, the like, the synergy of this and like the like the weird kind of like diegesis of it that like oh yeah while i watched it I whoa enjoyed you just it, used a word i've never heard diegesis i have never heard of diegesis I, I hope i hope i used it correctly i don't know megan megan suggested a uh a show to me recently that's like what's it called? Darkland Woodlands Death and Witches. Oh, um, oh yes. It's called it's called oh, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. And it's a documentary yeah. and it's and so interesting. It's all Brits and It's not all Brits, they talk about American folklore too. Yeah, but it's a lot of British people and they're using they're they're very proud of their vo their vocabularies and they mm. flaunt their vocabularies. Mm, got it. Uh, I, I, I almost had to pause a couple times and look words up. That's okay. Hey, you know what does uh, what does diegesis mean? So it's that when the style of the fiction of the storytelling presents the similar interior view of the world. So like when the themes and the symbolism match the actual style. So like this happens when like. So that's our uh, show. Kind of yeah. Um, like art like, reflecting life. Like uh, if a movie is really fast, but like Baby Driver, Baby Driver ha is, has so much diegesis where like the style of the movie matches its themes, it matches the music. It's like all symbolically connected in that way. Like things are just synced up. And so the diegesis of this movie would be like the fact that like, hey, it's enjoyable while it's there, but you're going to forget about it probably. So, you know? but our, so our show could be called diegesis. Diegetic. Yeah. Yeah. Diegetic. Diegetic. So diegesis yeah. isn't a word? No, diegesis is a word. That's the term for like what it is. But if, if you're using it as an adjective, it's diegetic. I don't know. It sounds like a pun for dying Jesus. Dying Jesus. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Seth, what about you? What was your experience with uh, The Replacements? Was this your first time seeing it? So or... I saw The Replacements in the theaters as, ah. as a child. Uh, I, had, I remember I can like – see the movie ticket mm -hmm. uh because i um so i went to the movies every week for like forever and so like i had a i had like a fishbowl full oh, of movie cool. tickets. i used to do that um i don't i don't know where those are which it, it's like a major bummer because it would be a, really cool to yeah uh go back and look at them but like especially when movie theaters officially die Stop it! Don't you dare. Seven. <laughs> I just remember it was seven seven twenty five for a ticket at the Regals at the Foothills Foothills Regal Cinema, and yeah, I saw this one. I remember it's one of the it's one of the ones I can like remember the ticket. Um, so yeah, uh, I I I enjoyed this movie when I saw it. I know that. Like originally, I I enjoyed it this time. Like it was a fun watch. Um, it, it's definitely for me. It was like the nostalgia of watching mm -hmm. it. Like the like yeah, like you said, like the two thousands like culture. <laughs> honestly, like mm -hmm. like just things you can't do or say in movies anymore, and like yeah, just like <laughs> yeah, like a, a lot of that. Like the way that. The way that 
I remember even thinking like, uh, like the, the football, like trying to get my words here. Uh, Keanu Reeves being a nice quarterback, getting, getting with the cheerleader, but it's still a quarterback getting with the cheerleader, you know, but like Mm. when I was a kid, it like gave me hope. But now I look at it and I'm like, no. He's still just a quarterback. Like he but probably would have been fine. But he's not though. He's kind of a loser. Well, okay. When they're like, when Gene Hackman is like looking like in the very beginning, he goes to get him and he's like, Yeah, look at you now. And I was like, he's on a boat. Like he's fine. This boat is know. shitty. Let's not I let's, it's better it's than a no boat. Shitty little boat. It's he, better than no boat. No, look, a boat is nice to have if you also have a home. When the boat is also your home, it's not so great. Yeah, that I, I would know. say. You go live on a boat, Megan. You go live on a boat okay. and tell us. I do want to live on a boat. That's no, like what I would on, like to no, do. On that My grandparents boat. lived on a boat. Live on that boat. Not All just right, any fine. good old boat. Fine. Um, the Sleepless in Seattle houseboat? I'm in. That's a but, very nice, that's a million dollar houseboat. But he's still, when they were, he like walked up to him and was like, your life, like, look at it now. He, I'm, I don't know. He has a job. He's hot. He lives on a boat. How old could he be? He's like 26, maybe? Right. Like, he'll be fine. Actually, he's 35. He's 35. You say that? Yeah. He's oh. in his 30s. The sugar oh, then maybe like, he should... The sugar maybe... bowl was like 10-something years yeah. ago. Okay, then maybe some stuff should change. Never mind. I thought he was younger. No. <laughs> he's, I, old. I, he's old. He's old. I feel like... In football standards, he's old. I feel like yeah. you're trying to speak to me through these films lately. I'm it's, not. You're not? Okay. No, this this is They're something... Ricky's movies. I, well, like I said, I, I'm... I understand that Meg, you know, Megan is is morally opposed to, to professional football, and I understand those those arguments. And I do wish that there is a safer, better, more moral way that these players could play without the obviously the immense risks that they take. I have been struggling to like let go of the fact that I enjoy football so much. Um, you know, my parents had season tickets to the Rams when I was growing up in St. Louis and that was when the Rams were the greatest show on turf like they won they went to two Super Bowls while like we had season tickets like they were pretty awesome it was the Kurt Warner Isaac Bruce Torrey Holt Marshall Falk years like some of the best players of all time like two Hall of Famers in that group possibly three four it's it's the best game to watch um and so like obviously I have you ever seen a hockey game I, I I can't stand hockey. I can't follow the puck. I can't follow. Oh the my puck. god, you guys! I, oh, I we're going I, to a hockey game when you're in town. I'll say, we're going. We're going. Hockey, we're going. I'll we're going. say hockey is a is a more exciting version of soccer. Where like like you score once or twice and that's about it. But like it is it is like hockey is like the the connective tissue between soccer and football. It's violent. It's it's very active. It's constantly moving. But it's a little bit more exciting than like watching a whole soccer match. Okay. It's, I like football. Hockey's the the only sport that I can follow. I I like watching football because you get breaks, right? Like a lot. Like you get so many. Baseball is way worse at that, though. Why is it so long? Well, you don't have to. That's the good part, right? About about it is, I think you're you're leaning the wrong direction, Megan. Like and like it's exciting for like seven seconds, and then you get a little bit. It's exciting for seven seconds, and then then you you can and then you can hang out with your buddies and talk. You can can do that during hockey too. You got to you got like watch the puck the whole time. 
you know? Well, if you go to enough games, you get good at zeroing in on the puck. I did not just mean to start an argument of which sport's more fun to watch. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. But I, I, what were you? Football, football, well, football. I just have a very deep connection with, like, kind of the nostalgia of growing up and watching your like, a football team and, and the camaraderie that comes around, like, a city route, like, being behind yeah. their team. And again, all the memories I have of going to Rams games growing up, like so, like the NFL is such a part of like something that's so comforting to me. But I know, I I know, and I see all a lot of the issues with it, and I and I hope and wish that in the future that there's something that can be figured out about that. But until then, you know, the only football game I've ever been to is the Rams game. Woo! But it was L.A. Rams. Yeah. Is it during a season when they were good? At least. Uh. Was it one of the early seasons, or was it the was it one of their? Good it was ones? when I was in LA. Uh, well, they went to two Super Bowls while you lived here. They they went yeah. to. Uh, oh wait, no, the second one. I think you were gone by then. So well, there was a Jared Goff season. They went to the Super Bowl and they lost because they only scored like three points or something like that. I know. Bad. I sat in Burt Kreischer's season ticket seats. Very cool. It was weird. Why? Yeah. How did you get Burt Kreischer's seats? Uh, Robles came into town, and and like. You know, worked his magic, got some tickets, and hmm. we we sat, and there were like amazing seats. And the guys next to us were like, "Hey, do you know whose seats those are?" <laughs> and we're like, "No." And they're like, "That's Bert Kreischer's seat you're sitting in." That's but, funny. And I was like, "What? Yeah, Bert Kreischer. He was... He's a comedian." Oh, okay, okay. He must have been out of town. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so as far as like. This movie has a nostalgia for me uh, because it's football. And, you know, the thing about Falco, if you go back to kind of what Seth was saying, you know, it's he he was, you know, sure. Like, he has a job. He's a good-looking man. He You know, he has his little houseboat, and that's, that's all well and good. But that's supposed to be a guy that people thought were, was going to be, like, a Hall of Fame-level quarterback. And for him to be where he's at now, like it's a, quite the fall from grace. You know I, what feel, I, mean? I feel I like feel a lot like Falco. I really Falco. Yeah. I feel Okay, a lot we're like gonna him. get into this, but yeah. um something Seth uh, please feel free to bring up what you texted me last night. Because I think it does need to be addressed. Oh, the fact that you're anti-union. <laughs> I'm not anti-union. No one on this show is anti-union. No, for the record. But I would like that to be stated yes, we before we like have this conversation. Be However, this is what I'll say. <laughs> the situations of the two of the two unions of the union in this movie, especially this is a fictional union because it's not the NFL, so it's not the Players Association, but it's supposed to represent that. But also, you know, completely different industry from like sports to the entertainment industry and here here's where this film paints it as there's a, it's a single issue for these guys as far as like what is the issue uh that they are striking against and it is salary based um so for perspective on that aspect of this strike in this movie the nfl again i know this isn't the nfl but we're it's we're basically giving it a one-to-one uh uh, analogous ratio here. Um, the NFL minimum salary in 2000 for a rookie. So this is for a player that's never even played in the NFL. As soon as you sign your rookie contract, this is what your salary is. Is $193,000 a year. Uh, and then after your after your fifth year, your minimum goes up to 
$535,000 a year. So that's minimum. So the lowest played players in the NFL playing on their rookie contract at in the 2000s were making $193,000 a year. For perspective, the annual average U.S. salary for a household was 42000 So they were making like four times more. The minimum was making four times more than the average person uh, in the 2000s. In the NFL today, the league minimum has gone up. The league minimum today is 750000 So the lowest paid player in the NFL make $750,000 a year or that makes sense because there's a lot more there's a lot more uh like like knowledge about uh Mm -hmm. traumatic head injuries oh for sure oh for sure and and, and not deservedly so like what i'm saying is that that's the minimum so if you're an nfl player that's the minimum uh and and so it's about $41,667 per week you're on the roster because some players get like promoted to the roster and then and then demoted to the practice squad that happens sometimes so it's forty one thousand dollars a week that you're on the team um which and so again to put to perspective here the average u.s salary today is seventy six thousand so now they make about 10 times more than the average person an nfl player so if we're talking just purely about money like if it's if it's purely about money, these guys make way more money than the average person. That's the lowest paid person. Would you play? <laughs> would you play one like one down? <laughs> yeah. You play it down. Yeah, I'd take a hit. Okay. For 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 forty one thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I would take a hit. I played okay. football in high school. It yeah. messed me up. It messed me yeah. up. I have back issues because of it, but um, yeah, I take I take a, you, I Megan? take a smack for forty one thousand dollars. Would you play it down? Would you get plowed by? <laughs> no, don't. Wrong term. Wrong term. Yeah, don't why use would plowed. You say that? Don't use plowed. That's, you're right. No, not like uh, stomped. That's a better. That's a better. I word. would not. I would not. I would not. Um, I just also googled like how much NHL players make, and it's the same seventy fifty. It's a lot. Seven hundred fifty athletes, athletes make a lot. So if this film is if in the reality of the world, this film, if the reason they're striking, because it's the only reason they mention, is the salary. They don't yeah. mention that the safety risks or anything. Oh, yeah. In in history of sports, there's been a lot of player strikes. It happens actually a lot. And this situation of like bringing in replacement players actually is very common in sports. It's happened actually in the NFL a few times. Um. I mean, they strike for lots of different reasons. The way their free agency is handled, the way the salary cap is handled. Sometimes the owners are going on strike because they can't make agreements with the players. So the owners lock out the players. Like sports, the sports system is really complicated in comparison to the entertainment industry in that for the Writers Guild, like nobody's making any money. Like people can't afford to live off of what they're making as writers. And then same with actors. Like actors... Eighty uh, something percent of the actors in the sa- in SAG can't afford the minimum, the twenty six thousand dollar minimum to get their health insurance through the union. And that's an overwhelming majority of the union. So, like the situ, the two situations are completely different as far as like why the unions are striking and like what they're striking for and things like that. So, I did want to 
obviously in the time we're in right now where the strike has been going on for over 100 days for the writers and you know up in the 70s for the actors um i think it's important to acknowledge that like yes this film is i don't think trying to say it's anti-union but it's anti-greed which it's painting the union as greedy. It's it's, it, it, it's it's very much like it's, a it's not area. a good look. It's not a good look. This this is no. not a good look for for pro union. Like they're like they're like these men, these men don't realize that they're getting paid to play professional football, and they're like you're. These it's men true, are man. out here. To, these men are out here to win. These men are out here to win, not play for money. And yeah, that's the that's the gray area. I think where like I. I think it's like a fun movie, so I don't think, mm. you know, I I think it's important to address, but I don't think it's going to like sway my opinion of this yeah. like, football comedy from the year 2000. Exactly. And that um, I just wanted to present the the numbers here of like, a, look, an NFL player, even back then, was, was making a very good living. Yeah. At, at the minimum. So. I, I think that like some of the danger in like, <laughs> not danger, I think it's kind of to like lead into the theme thing might be veering into you gotta do it for the love of the gate. Like you gotta do it oh. because you love it and you've got heart and like money shouldn't matter, which is a very like sweet idea, but not very realistic and not very um, fair to a lot of people. It's like money doesn't matter as long as your heart's in it, which would be cool if we didn't need money. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so, Yes, that is a very, be a very lovely idea. So Megan, I, so that's, is that what you, you kind of came out of this movie with? Uh, is like this idea of like motivation, like different kinds of motivations and like what is a, a kind of like what is a, a noble motivation versus like what is kind of like a, a non-noble motivation? Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that when I first watched it, but I guess like this conversation just reminds me of like the argument about like selling out, you know, like, I don't know if it's as applicable to this movie, but like, I think it's an interesting question of like, it, like in my case and in a lot of my friends' cases, like it comes up in the idea of creating art, like you want that to be your living because you love it, but at what point are you like, are you mixing up? like who your audience is and why you're doing it. And I don't know. I think that's an interesting question, but which um, that wasn't my main takeaway though. I think when I watched. Okay. Well we can get, I would love to, I mean, like I said, this is an interesting question. We can definitely get to more, but this is an interesting question here of like, at what point do you become a sellout? Cause like you said, we want to get paid for what we do. We want to get and you paid. You deserve to. And we deserve to get paid for what we do. And this is kind of goes to the, the actual like artist entertainment strike going on right now. Yeah. It's, like, it's like we we want to get paid for what we do and what we love to do. And we deserve to get paid uh, enough to exist and live. Like, But at what point do you become a quote unquote sellout? Like what is it? A, is it a monetary value? Like at a certain point you become a sellout when you make a certain amount? Is it when you start? compromising certain things like at what point do you do you become a sellout and then who gets to decide what if you're compromising because like maybe you change you shift gears and who gets to decide if you're doing that because you're trying to fit into a mold to please other people or make more money or if you're just like going in a new direction as a whatever you're doing like in your life and your art who gets to decide that that's been 
it's been a huge struggle for me, like from the beginning. Um, and I, that's why I kind of relate to Falco a lot. Um, cause I just never have, I have never fit the mold of what I was supposed to be as an artist. And I'm also pretty like stubborn and un, unmoving about what I hold true my art to be, um, which like if I had been smart, <laughs> I probably could have done a lot better for myself, but that's just not, uh, that's just not how I am, you know? So, right. so there is this idea of like what you look at yourself as and what other people view you as. So like Seth, something that I've heard you talk about a little bit. And if you want to go into a little bit more, it's like, you know, when you started acting and when you started, especially in college, you were kind of cast as the leading, the good looking leading man type. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, and me, male, knowing, ingenue. male ingenue. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thing that I know of you is like, you are way more of a character person. Like yeah. the person that I know you are, like your soul is in character work. You know what I mean? Like, you would mm -hmm. love to play the the character roles instead, but yeah. Because of what people see you as, they put you in the in this like lead role, and it isn't necessarily where you your skill set is best suited. And I, right, and I don't have the self confidence to carry that role. Like I don't, I I never, I don't live in that space in re real life. So it's like hard for me to like be the guy that gets all. It, it just feels false, you mm -hmm. know. Uh. But, you know, I can play the, like, the creature, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I can play the uh, the whack, wacky, funny character, no you play, problem. But, you play a good wackadoo, that's for sure. Yeah, but, like, my fit, like, that's not what I look like, right. you know? Like, you, so, uh, yeah. So, I, 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 if I had figured out a way to lean into what the expectations were, then I feel like I might've done better. Right. You know? But is it, is it fair for other people to put their expectations of what you're supposed to be on you? And, and like, for, so to go back to well, it is when it's an industry and yeah, you need to make money. That's fair. To go back to what so, Megan said, um, I, I heard some, a very interesting conversation about Greta Gerwig from a, a, a fellow artist, um, who's a female director and writer. Um, she's an up and coming uh, female director writer. She definitely is like in the industry, but she's not like a big name yet. But uh, she was talking about Greta Gerwig and the fact that Greta Gerwig, you know, directed Barbie. Right. And so she was kind of, and I've heard this from a few people kind of trashing Greta Gerwig for like t doing Barbie. Cause Barbie is a very commercial, $100 million budget movie, studio, very studio. It's an IP. Like, is it selling out for Greta Gerwig to do that movie? Considering she's coming from doing, like, Little Women and, and you know, things like that. Yeah, but I, I think I realize that there are issues with Barbie, the consumerism, the all the stuff that – I loved that movie. I love Greta Gerwig. I – I loved Barbie. I'm very grateful that it exists. But um, I think for me, when I think about that particular question, like devoid of like the, like if you take away the like other legitimate criticisms, um, I think 
she's still trying to, I don't know. I feel like she has this like huge platform now. Like that's one of the biggest, like grossest, grossest, can't talk today. Biggest grossing movies. Like, of the, I don't know, it's got like crazy numbers and she's yeah. using that, that visibility and that, that, um, volume to say something that I think does really matter to her. And as somebody who watched it and felt, and like, I know lots of other people, women, men, non-binary, whatever, who watched it and felt something. And it's still art. It's still, to me, I think good art. And just because it's popular and, you know, comes with its problems doesn't mean that she's selling out. I guess if you're still using it to, to say things you believe in, I don't know that that, that I would call that selling out versus like, you know, it's like, what can you change from the inside? Like once you're in, like she is, she's got the leverage to like really affect change in a system that's really fucked up, but also but also maybe the system's too broken. I don't have answers. I don't know. No, and, and there is no answer. And I, <laughs> I like be, I, Barbie. <laughs> and I want to be clear here. There is no answer. And that's kind of why it was an interesting question. It Seth. is. <laughs> because well, selling out kind of like is a term that p- people are you are putting on somebody, right? You think someone – you are the one that thinks somebody is a sellout. No one is going to be like, I'm selling out. Like no one's going to like announce that there's a sellout. I mean I guess some people do. It's happened before where it's like, you know what? Like Morgan Freeman's okay. like, Morgan Freeman's like, yeah, I'm doing it all for the money. I don't, like, I'll do anything. So well, I guess something. You put in work, do. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like at a certain point, just like do yeah. stuff you like. Yeah. Um, or um, then, yeah. So I so, think it's selling out if you completely, like, throw aside your values. Yeah. I think, yeah. That's, I think that's what selling out is, okay. right? Like, I, I don't think Greta Gerwig is selling out her values by using by using a mainstream platform to express her values. Right. Like she, it's not, you know, I'm sure that there's like probably compromise that happens in those instances, but well, it has to be, there's no way like Barbie, there's no way Mattel and I can't, gosh, I don't know what studio did Barbie, but there's no way the studio was like, yeah, do whatever you want. Like, no, they, you better believe there was a gazillion people at the top that had input on that movie. So there had to be compromise. Um, but I haven't seen Barbie yet. So, but from what I hear, you know, it's still like those, like you said, those values and those messages still made it through. That turns Greta Gerwig into like the modern Barbie for those corporations, which is kind of (laughs) like, that's weird. That's weird. Um, I agree with what you're saying though. I think like if you, if you're sacrificing the integrity of your art and what you believe for the money, then I think that's selling out. Um, but also to Ricky's point, like other people can call you a sellout, even if you know, you're not doing that because they perceive it that way. So there's just a lot of, this is a question that I think about a lot in terms of like, I've got a lot of like my friends who are musicians, a few of them are also trying to, they're in the process of, they would like to make their music, their full-time thing. Um, or they are, and they want to make it more sustainable and more like regular income. And it's hard to create some like this again, this is, I don't have any experience with football, so I'm using the creative part. Um, it's hard to create something. And like, I think a lot of the time if you're, they're usually songwriters, the people I know, singer songwriters, and a lot of the time women. And I think for a lot of creative types, particularly women, 
their art feels very like um kind of like it's like very intimate very personal kind of holy like it's so personal and so to put it out there and try to market it and like make a tiktok about it or like it just feels yeah disingenuous like it doesn't feel it feels like you're betraying yourself and your art it feels like you're exploiting your 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 soul but also yeah it does but also you have to do that in order to be this was a really interesting point i was reading a book about frida Kahlo, and it was talking about the difference between her and diego rivera and how he was really good at mark not marketing whatever he had to do like networking and social like really being in that like social circle and she was too but in less of a like you know hawking her own stuff kind of way um but maybe it's good that maybe maybe artists who are scared of that should embrace that but then how does it affect your art if you're thinking about that while you're making it it's complicated it's complicated you you have to do both and like that's that's been my struggle is like is like keeping my art um integral to who i am Mm -hmm. and also learning the business of it you know what i mean like i i know that no one's gonna like like if you don't have a show if you don't have a show coming up no one cares if you're a comedian you got to have a show like so what i've what i've learned is like you always have to be promoting something it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what it is you have to be promoting it like you have to have a thing that you're doing so other people so other people can feel like you're actually doing it. Otherwise, like you're giving you're just... them something of value. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and this is go ahead. Well, just no. to, to to bring it back to the NFL because I know Megan, you're like I can relate to this creatively, but like yeah. as far as football goes, I'm not sure. So the, what this looks like in in sports is you can tell when a player is playing without their heart in the game. Like you can tell. And it's, it's soulless to watch. Like when you see a player that's just going through the motions and is not like enjoying playing anymore, it, it hurts you. Like, you're just like, wow, this is really sad to watch. Like this person is like almost like a robot and that they're just going through the motions. They don't seem like they're having fun. They're collecting their, their hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they aren't, they don't seem like they're having, they're enjoying it anymore. And that happens to a lot of athletes and like it as a sports fan in any sport, not just football, but like in any sport, when you're watching a player that's, that's not enjoying playing anymore, it sucks. Like, like watching um, Andrew Luck was a big one a handful of years ago. If anybody is NFL fans out there, Andrew Luck was a very promising young quarterback drafted by the Colts, had re- a lot of success early in his career, but was getting completely demolished. His offensive line was terrible. So he was taking so many hits he had really bad injuries and basically he retired before he was even like 26 years old or 28 years old. He's just like, look, I'm done. Like I, this is too much. My mental health. And you could tell that he's like not enjoying playing anymore. You know what I mean? And he was like, and people will tell you, he's like one of the nicest guys on the field. Like he, like a guy that like really enjoyed the game up until it's just killing his body, you know? And so in this movie, this this something that this script is kind of playing on is like there is something to to this idea of like having your heart in what you do it's, having your heart in what you do yeah 
and another i hate to keep bringing it back to like something and i i think oh, it can we can this is how it you relate into, to it though i and i want to weave it back into the football thing because i'm curious about how it works in other industries that are not i guess vital like in the i, I think they're vital um but uh, maybe not football in particular but you know sports are important and art is important and but they're um the view of them as clowns work. are Clowns are important. important, but the view of those things as work is so, um, it's just, it's, people don't define it as work for whatever reason. But I, there's a point about like people who create art and, you know, people say it's just, it's like not as pure to do it for money or if you're trying to find ways to make money with that. But there's a book called Death of the Artist. that's really interesting. And he brings this point up. If we are okay, so it's it's from a place of like immense privilege to be only doing your art for the joy of it, to have enough passive income or enough time to use yeah. all of your other time for your art. So that's only allowing like a very specific section of society to make art that people value versus people who are either trying to like do a side hustle with their art or they're working like really long hours at a regular job and like doing like we're missing out on so many voices if we only value this art that's like pure for no reason other than like there's nothing wrong with trying to make money because you need money to live yeah and if you're also trying to do it with your art i don't know i think we're just missing out on a lot of voices i don't know how that relates to the football thing well so you know and that's a that's a really good point because money can be a good motivation to do something getting paid is is it not not a bad motivation to do a thing right Mm -hmm. So I think what we have to be careful of is like, as far as sports go, when you're watching a player that looks like they, they're, they're having a blast playing, like they just look like they, like they, when you see a player like do something that's like fun and silly and you see that smile come across their face of just enjoying the fact that they are playing this game that they've been playing since they were kids and now they're multi-million dollar athletes and still playing with that same joy there's nothing there's nothing more endearing about an athlete that plays that way yeah like those are like the athletes who are like your favorite athletes of all time these guys that are just like so joyous when they play you know Mm -hmm. there's there's something so charming about an athlete that seems like they love what they're doing yeah yeah if you're that's how we're supposed to move through the world like that's yeah. how that's how we're we are supposed to move through the world in a playful way. Yeah. Like that's how we were actually meant to be to exist. And so yeah, I mean, like you're just seeing somebody do what they're they were meant to do. Yeah. You know, and and on the highest level, which is so cool. Yeah. You know. So I think, kind of just like the loop back in the theme here is like, and I think the movie does it so well with like the. You know, when Martel comes back and replaces Falco, Falco gets fired in that last game there. And even though Martel is like a super is a Super Bowl winning quarterback, um, MVP caliber quarterback that, you know, we don't really get to see that from him because he's completely devoid of all joy and and, and morals. Um, Falco, while statistically and, and probably physically the worst quarterback. <laughs> Has, can have more success because of how much he cares about what he's doing and who he's doing it for. And there, there's something to be said about, about like the, what having your heart in something can do, can do for you. You know, well, you can't, you can't do anything without 
the belief in it, right? Like if you don't believe you can do something, it's going to way hinder your choices or way hinder your ability to do something. So like if you have a leader who can inspire belief, that's the, that's the first, the number one thing, you know? Yeah. Like if, if your leader doesn't inspire belief, you're halfway sunk yeah. already. And there are many times, I mean, in the NFL in particular, but in sports in general, where a less talented qu- quarterback or a less talented leader has been able to elevate their team beyond of what their capabilities might be able to be. I mean, a big one over the like in recent memory was the Tim Tebow years in 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 the Bron- in Denver Broncos. Um, Tim Tebow was a really successful quarterback in in college, like won like two Heisman's, went to the NFL, and like I saw him play. I saw him play at the University of Tennessee. Yeah. Like, he beat Tennessee by a he was, freaking field. He goal. was one of the best college quarterbacks of all time. He was he his numbers in college and his like production was insane. He went to the NFL and he just did not have the NFL caliber talent that he needed, and yet that those first couple of years he was in Denver. He got them to the playoffs like somehow. He was making, he was playing really bad. He was making so many mistakes, so many turnovers. It was a shit show. And yet somehow that team found a way to win. It was bizarre. It was so weird. And so, like, it's, it's somehow he, he just got them over the goal line every time. It was crazy. A, a more current one is like the way people talk about Kirk Cousins, who's the quarterback of the of the Vikings. You know, Kirk Cousins is not like no one would say he's like one of these most elite QBs in the game. And yet last year the Vikings went like thirteen and three. They just like were winning these like single digit games, these single score games, like all the time. They got they were thirteen and three and had a negative point differential. It's insane. Like that does not happen. Uh, wow. Uh, so basically, it means like like teams teams their point differential is how much how much points they let up to how much points they score. Okay. So okay, 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 you know okay. how do you have a winning record if you're scoring less points than what you're giving up on average? Like it's crazy. They just Great question. find they just finding a way. It's weird. That's the thing about sports. The sports is like things are not always easily explainable. There is an intangible quality to the way some people play. Yeah. And this movie captures that with these replacement players. And for me, the thing that I've, I've realized in w- revisiting this movie and why I think I, it has stuck with me is, is these guys are all outsiders. You know what I mean? Each one of these players, even Falco, even though he's a handsome guy, he's talented, he's an outsider. He's kind of a... Once, once you lose bad one time, you get a stink on you. Yeah. Sports is not forgiving. Sports, professional sports, they are not forgiving. It is a what have you done for me lately. And people don't like losers. They don't like losers. They don't like losers. Um, And so this movie is all these outsiders getting an opportunity to to back end their way into a little bit of a little bit of success. Right? Like I think the reason I connected this movie so much is because I feel like I'm like one of those types of guys. I am somebody who's not going to ever have the traditional point A to point B way of doing anything. Like I, I've been underestimated my entire life. I'm never the first draft. I'm never the first round draft pick. You know what I mean? Never have been. 
And so I need to find so many different creative solutions to, to being able to present myself and set myself up for success. And it, it, while it is really frustrating and hard and a lot of times it's a grind to have to like be so, like back end things so many times it, there is a point of pride in like, so, uh, resilient, alt- resilient and alt and alternative. So I think like when I watch this movie, I see myself in these in these replacement players. I see myself as like I would but never point, get a chance unless something weird and bizarre. The hard the gives hard me part is the hard part is, and this is something I battle myself, is like you don't want that to become a self fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. right? Like I have a joke, but it's not a joke. It's uh, my therapist tells me I'm afraid of success. You know, and it's, I always say that when I'm bombing. <laughs> so, so like, it's a good, it's yeah, a good so, blanket. It's a good blanket yeah, excuse. Yeah. 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 But like, that's what I mean is like, at some point, if you want to be a winner, you have to be a winner. You know, you have to like, like winners want the ball. Winners want the ball. That I love that phrase. A yeah, winner always like wants that. the ball in his hand when the game's on the line. Yeah. 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 And so like, I think you're right. Like you and I are both Ricky have had to kind of like tinker our way through life as to how to get what we want. But at some point, like, I don't know, you, you have to, you have to accept that it might, you might have to do it the regular way. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's weird. I don't. I don't know how to. I don't know how to explain it. But it's like, it. The regular way gets easier. Maybe is a way to to, to phrase it. When you're I used think, to having to do something in a strange way, doing it the normal way feels simpler. Yeah. And also, like maybe if you don't feel like that person who would normally get to do it the normal way, like knowing that you're that resilient and that you're more. I don't know. You've got more grit. You've got more like texture you've got more to pull on like that makes it easier to kind of fake it till you make it when you're doing it the normal way and it brings a more interesting perspective that gives you an edge when you're doing it the normal way like i don't know what normal way like maybe you couldn't have done it maybe you couldn't have done it the normal way if you hadn't had to do it first yeah yeah which i think is how like all all like the really great stories have that arc to them it's not like you know it's it's very it's very Rudy, you know. It's related to a football very movie that you see. Rudy is like one of these replacement players. He is like someone who did, could not do it the traditional way. He had to yeah. find this like different way of doing it because no one was yeah. going to accept Rudy the the way that he is in the traditional format. Like he had to not trick people. Trick people is not the right word, but he had to find and set himself up to get a weird opportunity to get a, yeah. a, a fringe yeah. opportunity. Think be, outside the box. Think outside bit. the box, exactly. And for like for Seth and I in particular, like the first thing that comes to mind is like the improv world. Yeah. Like we both tried to do it the the, the the way that it's laid out, the traditional way. We both tried to take the classes that everybody that all the the greats had taken, take you know, at the schools that they had taken it at, follow the rules and play along the way that they did. And then when we got there, we didn't make it. And we weren't, we, you know, not that because we weren't talented, not because we didn't have what it takes, just because whatever at that moment, like people, we didn't fit the mold, we didn't fit whatever it is they were looking for. And I don't, 
I don't stand on the back line and make quips, cool quips and play myself. You know, they don't, they don't want me to be the like wild card that comes to the front and, and takes the attention, you know, like, so like, I feel like all our whole group, like we, 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 our group in Chicago was called rough cut, you know, like we were the replacements in that sense. And and, and that's what I, I think I connect with this movie so much about is like, look, these guys, these players, their edges are, are rough. Their edges are rough. They are jagged human beings across the board. And like, but given, given an opportunity, given a second chance, given just a moment, like, like those guys are going to live off of that for the rest of their lives, you know, think yeah. about like what, the things that they accomplished and those, those tiny moments that each of them got to have. The the most like real, I mean, it doesn't seem like maybe, it maybe doesn't seem real to you guys, but I felt like it was real was the guy scoring the touchdown and getting his knee blown out. Like that is, that's, to me, what this is, to me, like the core of what this movie's about, you know? And it's, it's honestly like getting at, it's getting at the, per, into the ephemery of what I'm like trying to say as a person right now. Um, that's what's real. Does that make sense? Like, like it has to be, it has to be that way. Like it has to be that way. Like it has to, for you to appreciate it really it has to be that way i don't know how to exp- i don't know how to explain it no I, and, and that's i think sports movies are really good at bringing out this idea of this like you said this ephemeral it factor sports are all about it factors the, the entertainment industry is too but like there a lot of that people can like attribute to like the way people look and things like that but like in sports there are tons of players. There's so many sports stories about somebody who does not fit the mold, who who then comes in and just like changes the way people look at things. Like in baseball, there was like Jose Altuve, who is a a, a player for the Astros. Um, he's like super super short, <laughs> very very tiny guy, and uh, he had been like cut, and he'd gone to like dozens and dozens of professional tryouts and didn't make any teams and then he finally got into the minors and then got all the way up to play for the Astros and was like one of their has been one of their better players for a long time it was like a sensation or like uh in basketball Jeremy Lim right Jeremy Lin Lin Sanity that whole that whole phenomenon that happened a handful of years ago Jeremy Lin is not your traditional all-star basketball player and yet when he came onto the scene he just had a thing about him, you know, and it that those kind of stories capture people's imaginations yeah. and capture their their excitement. Um, to go back to hockey, like the miracle, right? The miracle in the in the Winter Olympics with the U.S. team, they were definitely yeah. not as talented as so the Russian team yeah. and the Canadian team at that year. But so there's something, there is something about them that allows them to ascend, and though. Sports is so good at illustrating that aspect of like there is something going on that's transcendent the, of reality. Did anyone ever watch? Did you guys watch the Friday Night Lights TV show? Uh, some of it. My only. That was like my favorite. That was like that's the closest I've ever been to understanding. Like I get, I like at a hockey game, I get, I like like that like 
feeling of camaraderie with people when you're rooting a team on. I like, you know, it's entertaining. But Friday Night Lights was the closest I've ever come to being like, no, I think I care about football. Like, it was... (laughs) (laughs) And it was just stuff like... I don't know. There's some stuff that happens again, this is through the lens of a TV show, but stuff that happens on the field that you're like, that has to feels like a, a higher something. There's a, there's a significance so to what's happening on the field. Yeah. Because it's so heightened and immediate. Like it's just like a really unique catharsis. And I don't know. It just what you were saying reminded me of um, in that show there, they'd say stuff like let's touch God tonight, boys, like stuff like that. That show's that. very like Christian. Stuff very you Christian say show. in, Oh, it's well, yeah, they're from Texas. So they're very, yeah, yeah. yeah. Texas forever. It's, it's overcoming the odds right like and sometimes you're able to sometimes yeah it, but you can't overcome the odds if you don't play right you know so like i i, I kind of and this is me helping myself right now because i'm trying to put into words what i'm trying to say but like I think life is about this. Like, this is what life is about is like, none of this is supposed to be happening. Like, it just doesn't make sense. You know, like, like the fact, like think if you ever think about the fact that you're here, like really like realize that you are a being in the real world moving through it. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) And like the odds of you being the person that you are. Yeah. The fact that you even exist at all. Yeah. The actual odds of you as an individual person existing is The fact that anything exists, first of all, and that you can understand and comprehend any of it is fucking wild and then on top of that there are coincidences and moments of like yeah complete and coherence there are patterns and, and structures and there's Jesus? a code to everything Dude, the other night i thought about this yesterday because the other night i went to a friend's house and he had they've got a music studio and he was like turn around and on the mantle there were two grammys and i was like why do you have grammys and i guess he has a friend who he's producing an album with and this fr- and I, I touched the grammy it was very really <sighs> exciting and they were like, oh, that guy worked on the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. And I've like smoked with this guy in a parking lot. Like I did not know that this was like an Oh Brother Where Art Thou, like whatever he did on that. And that felt like, I was like, oh my God. Because I when I was like 10, that was my favorite movie ever. And I would watch that movie with my grandma and like, I don't know, like stuff like that. I was like, this is, I'm here yeah. for a reason to touch yeah. the Grammy of the yeah. man. <laughs> and, I, and like, I think, I think life is like, the goal is to overcome the nothing, like to overcome, even though everything says it shouldn't be, you're supposed to do it anyway. You know, like, like the fact that you like, sometimes I get overwhelmed by the fact that like you could die at any moment, you know, but some, for some reason you don't like, think about driving your car. Think about how many cars are on the road. Now I know, that car accidents happen. I actually was in one this weekend. Um, no, not with your new yeah. car. And the no, new no, one? no, I, no, no, no. Well, sort so Sarah's mom's car, who, which is new, got rear. We got rear-ended. Oh. Um, which the car is fine. It's going to need some repairs on the tr- on the back bumper, but like, and there, we got a little whiplash, but we're we're good. But like, the fact that like, you know, there's thousands of cars on the road every day, and they're inches away from each other, like. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying like the odds of you 
being here, the odds of you not dying, like to me, those are evidences of something greater than like it being all chaos, you know? And like, I think the like sports and like art are like little windows that create an ability to see beyond the everyday interactions with the divine, I guess. Right. Like, so, so, I mean, I've had a, I've all this talk about like going through the motions and and inability to, to play. And like, that's why I put my nose on when you were talking about that, like, like the pandemic and like the, where my career has been like, has really like sucked it out of me, you know? And like, really like dampered my belief that I can make anything of value, you know? Um, so it's like my belief in myself has been very null, you know? Uh, can I say something so cheesy? Yeah. I think yeah. anything you make is a value because you made it. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it was just, it was just really, it was just really weird when I had this like realization that art is like the icing on the cake, you know, like it's not though. It's, it's, it's both, right? It's vital, like, yeah. Like it's like, it's the flower and it's the icing. Like it's like when, when, when you can't do anything, you have to do art. <laughs> And when you can do everything, art is all there is to do, mm-hmm. you know, it's like this weird, but like in the in-between, it's like, like when shit hit the fan with the pandemic, it was like, okay, well, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be like, I, I thought like, okay, well, that's it. You know, like, that's it. Like all my dreams of artistic, but like, what if society had devolved and we were like living in tribal, like tribes, they're going to need you some entertainment, you know? have to watch Station Eleven. Have you watched Station Eleven, either of you? Yeah, I like Station Eleven. It's so good. It's Seth, you would, if you haven't seen it already, it has a lot to do with what you're talking about. And it's really okay. good. It's so your idea, Seth. <laughs> it uh, will make you, I don't know if it will make you, and I, I don't know, Ricky, if you, uh, that last episode made me bawl. Like, I was crying for, like, Oh, no, it was very hour. sad, yeah. Yeah. Sad and just like affecting. No, yeah, yeah. Sad. I mean, it's yeah. like there was a bit. It deals with this, right? It was a bittersweetness. Yeah, yeah. And and I love what you're saying here, Seth. That like, there, there, like, there is something about like in this movie, these guys, a lot of them, their situations were completely out of their control, like, like for example, uh, Brian Murphy, who is the tight end, who's the deaf guy. He's a good athlete. He clearly is a fantastic football player. But just because he's deaf, nobody drafted him. And so he just has to live his life knowing that he's good enough to be an NFL player. But just because of this thing that he was born born with, he's born deaf. And that I did deaf. like I like Gene Hackman's response when he was like, learn sign language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. You learn. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like that's out of his control. There's nothing he can do. All he can do is be the best football player he can be, and it, yeah. but it does not change the what the world does to him, right? And same with, like, um, 
uh, like the two the two linemen, right? It's like these guys are two of the best offensive linemen in the league at one point, but one of them got traded, and because they weren't together, they both fell apart, and they both were drummed out of the league, and so that's out of their control, you know? And, and you can't necessarily do anything about the way the world continues to move forward. They'll throw a hurricane at you. They'll throw a pandemic at you. They'll throw an earthquake at you. They'll, they'll do anything. And you that can completely derail maybe your what your path was. Um, but I think this movie does a really good job in saying like, but that doesn't have to be the end of it necessarily. Yeah, I think it doesn't. It, it just changes your path. It molds your path. And like, that's what, that's hard because like, sometimes it feels like you think, you know, how you're going to get to where you're going. But like a lot of times that you have no idea, you know, and I genuinely believe, like we said this before on this podcast, like, I genuinely believe you get everything you want out of life. You just don't get it the way you expect. And yeah. So the tornado might come and change your path, but that might end up leading you to where you need it to be, you know? Um, I think like kind of to do with this, the idea of second chances, the idea that like one, you know, derailment doesn't mean you should give up i think the the thing that i've when i first watched it before we had like started this conversation resonated with me was the fact that they address the fear that comes with second chances like the absolute like paralyzing like i cannot fuck it up again um and i don't know that that's in like a lot of these kind of like happy little sports movies maybe it is it is a lot but it is such a really interesting moment in the movie where it's like hey like let's really be vulnerable for a second and like talk about what actually is holding us back like yeah like what is the thing that's keeping us from just like going out there and and leaving everything we have like i said being afraid being afraid of failure keeps you from keeps you from actually trying right yeah. And yeah. and like that they they all kind of are like you know, I'm afraid that I'm afraid of like the moment I have to go back to working at the grocery store. But like what's I think this movie also like does very very delicately is it's like that's still their reality. He's gonna go back to work at that grocery store. And that's okay. And he and 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 Wilkinson's gonna go back to jail, right? Like like that that is their reality. But this movie is so good about being like, look, just because that is something that can or is going to happen, like being afraid of death, being afraid of, of failure, hey, that's going to happen. Yeah. But you need to accept that and acknowledge your fear and do it and say, fuck it and do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you'll get, yeah, I like that. The fact that you'll get derailed, like inevitably makes it. I feel like you have to kind of learn how to let go of like what you think is going to happen to make room for what's actually happening. And sometimes that's a bad surprise and sometimes it's a good surprise. And when there is a good surprise, like a win or like a, a second chance, even if, you know, it's not going to last because no moment lasts, you have to like, you have to find joy in those moments and celebrate them and be there for them. Um, and that's, 
that can be hard to do when fear is involved, but it's worth it. You can enjoy it if fear is involved. You have to learn to let go of the fear. Right. Like you have to acknowledge it to let go of it, you know, and. That's what I think. So I like when I get to the end of this movie, like there's, there's a part of my soul that's like, haven't these guys proved that they can do it. Right. Haven't these guys, they played against the like reigning champions who all had crossed the whole team was the actual professional team and they were all the replacements and they still beat them. You know what I mean? Like having these guys like prove that they can, they can play like, shouldn't they next season? Shouldn't they have an actual opportunity to play? And I think like my soul wants that to be the case, but knowing how the world works and knowing how sports works, no, like, no, probably not. This is, and this is where it gets into like, something interesting like do you want to be the quarterback that won two if you're that person you know what i mean like like the circumstances that created the quarterback that won the two super bowls and made this guy into an asshole like like you don't want to be that like it may look like it may look like success on the like the veneer, but I don't think it's actual happiness. It's not actual. And that's, that's the hard part, right? Like that's, and that's something that I have to like work on myself is like, if I, if I had succeeded in everything I did, I wouldn't value success. And like, I wouldn't know what it means to fail and I wouldn't be human. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't like, it's so much more valuable to be able to fail and keep going than it is to constantly win because it, it you're, you're just a baby. You know what I mean? Like you're a baby if all you do is win because you don't know what it's like to, to feel, to feel pain, you know, like, like that's what will turn you into an asshole. If you get everything you want all the time and you don't know how to cope with not getting what you want, like, does that make sense? Yeah. So, so for me, that resonates the most with like, I, so I didn't grow up doing a whole lot of acting, you know what I mean? That, that my area, like that was not like, as it's like a thing. Like I grew up in a very athletic area, like our high schools winning state championships every handful of years in different in football and basketball and baseball. Like we're, we're a sports town. We have players in the NFL. We have players in, in major league baseball. Like our town, while a smallish town, like is a sports town. Like there's a, we have an NFL player, a kid who, who from our hometown who I actually know who is now in the Detroit lions. Like he's a, and they're saying he's going to be really awesome. So. And then we have other players like who are major league pitchers too. We have two that I went to high school with that are in major league baseball. Like we're a sports town. So I grew up playing lots of sports and I love playing sports. I like playing sports a lot. Like I love playing baseball. I enjoy basketball a lot. I liked backyard football. Like I like just playing football with my friends and like the backyard type of thing. But like when I played real football, I didn't enjoy it very much at all. Uh, volleyball. Um, I enjoyed soccer. Like I love sport. I played all. I played so many sports growing up. Uh, 
And again, I'm not a traditional looking athlete. I'm, I was kind of, I've always been kind of a chubby guy. I'm not like super duper strong. I'm not super duper fast. I liked playing the games, but I didn't want to be a professional athlete. But, you know, in a town where sports are competitive, like we're a sports town, sports are competitive in this town. Uh, they are very discerning on who gets to play and who, who gets to be on the team. And I will say, I when I got to high school, I got cut from a lot of teams. I tried out for a lot of teams and got cut a lot. Um, I got cut from teams and then came back and tried out again the next year and then made it and then got cut the next year. So, like, being in that environment of, like, someone telling you that you don't fit the mold, that you don't, you're not the right fit for the team, that you're not good enough, that constant failure made me mentally extremely resilient and strong and honestly prepared me for the acting world like mm-hmm. sure like i still have moments where like yeah i get really despondent over missing out on a role like there there was a an amc show that i was i had gone, gotten through like two rounds of callbacks on for like a, like a, a principal role and then didn't get it and then had to see the billboards for this show all all around town and stuff like that like that hurt. That felt like a knife, knife in the gut, and then twist type of thing, and that really sucked. But at the time, of like just like missing out, like not getting the audition, and like you know being rejected, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, going through all that failure early in my life in sports prepared me for the grind mindset uh, that acting and writing require. And I think that says, oh, sorry. Oh, that's, I was done. I was just going to say, I think that says a lot about you too. Cause I think there's another way that could go where you let that really, um, I don't know, shatter your sense of self, mm-hmm. but the other option, and this is something that I've only recently started to try to do. in like the last couple of years is to realize that your value is intrinsic and to be your own source of validation, which a lot of people don't get to maybe ever. So I don't know. I think that speaks to like a natural strength. It ebbs and flows. I'll be honest. But yeah, that's human. <laughs> that, it's human. It that comes happens. and goes. Sometimes I feel real good about myself regardless. If of it was constant. Yeah. And there's a difference between, you know, confidence and cockiness. And, but even if it's like a quiet confidence, even if it's like not the loudest voice, it's always still there. I bet. Somewhere. Uh, I'm working be. on this script right now and I, I'm almost done with it. I have about maybe like 15 pages left for this feature length thing. And like, it's not like the best script in the world, but like I was like, and I was kind of down on myself because I'm like, man, this script, I don't even think the script is that good. And I sat down and I actually like read through the whole thing the other day, like everything I have. And I was like, huh. At the very least, it flows so, like it is, it like, it like breezes through. Like it may not be again, may not be the best written thing. It may not be the best story. It definitely needs work, and I definitely noticed some structural things. I'm like, uh, that that structurally that needs to change. But like, I was like 80 pages through the script very quickly. Like it was breezing through, and I was like, oh, this is a well, a well written script. Whether or not it's the story is anything special is one thing, but the script itself is constructed very well. Um, and like, it gave me like a little boost to like keep, like get through my three pages that day of being like, Oh, 
I do have the skill. I do have yeah. the skill to at least write a well-written screenplay. I just have to find the right stories to tell. But, like, I can write a screenplay and I can write a decently constructed screenplay that, like, is at least well-written. Yeah. <laughs> just have to find the right stories to and tell. That's hard to do. It's, skill, that's sure. honestly the hardest thing is to pick pick this is to be discerning about which stories you spend your time on. I've had to learn that. That's a new skill I'm trying to learn. Because as a creative person, you just have so many ideas sometimes. He's like, I have all these ideas. And it's like if a script takes you as long as long as it takes me to write sometimes, you can't write all of them. Yeah. You have to pick what you're spending your time on. And it that's the hardest. <laughs> You've got thing. to stick with it. You and can't like abandon it for I mean you can. But did I, and you guys, you need to know when to. Did I say this yet on here uh, about somebody asking me how I stay inspired? No, I haven't. I haven't said oh, that. Oh, was on that here. the questionnaire? No, no. It so, was in the uh, questionnaire. You put out a questionnaire? No, it was a work review thing, uh, and they put like, "What inspires you?" Oh, yeah. uh, no. So I was actually, I was at um, a pool, and it was like, it was. So Soho House, uh, cool. I got invited. I got invited. It's not. I'm. A, I'm not a Ooh. member. I'm, I'm. I'm not a member. Dropping uh, names left and right. But uh, it was with. Uh, it was with Rachel, who's been on here. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and she she she's a member, and she invited me and Sarah to, uh, to the pool one day, and so like first and foremost, I got there, and it was. A pool and no one was swimming it was just like hot people, people sitting swim Seth. Yeah. hot people don't know how to swim <laughs> what that's a thing no I'm kidding. <laughs> well, well i i swam uh i, I was like I'm, i was like i'm gonna swim and but it was like just a giant networking thing right like everybody's there to like yeah, it, people were yeah. people were adulting hard gross like, uh, it was real gross um, and so I, I'm talking to Rachel and she's talking to a friend and her friend is like, well, what do you do to stay inspired? We're just talking about like what you do to stay inspired. <laughs> and I, I don't know why, but it just like hit me the funniest way. Like it was like, bruh, I don't got to do anything. The universe takes care of all that shit. <laughs> like, like, like the, the inspiration is not a problem. Like, like how to succeed that's that's a different question but like just wait just wait and some shit is going to happen and then you just do that and you cope like that's that's where the where inspiration comes I from. feel that hard so cuz I I definitely don't have a lack of inspiration I don't have a lack of ideas I don't have yeah. a lack of like excitement it's the, it's the grind of of executing the thing that that yeah. that like and but like, like sitting down and doing it, and then like as soon as like I like walk away from my computer, like walk outside, I'll be hit with a new inspiration of something yeah. completely different. Yeah, and I'll be and like, that's oh, that's I'm... exciting, a new shiny. Well, it's thing. just like with a yeah, with like a when you're dating or something, like that moment of inspiration, that like little spark is so exciting. But then you have to like get into the actual, work, yeah. real stuff yeah. of it, and you're like, oh, gross. This so is like, not I, cute. This isn't sexy re- anymore. The reason I bring it up is like. I, I think what you're talking about, Ricky, with your script is like you've developed the discipline and the craft mm-hmm. to to create a well-constructed script. I don't think you have to worry about, honestly, which one you should waste your time on. Sorry, there's a fly. No, the fly uh, got into your camera, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, he looked right at me. Yeah. 
you don't have to <laughs> worry about like the right script will come because yeah. you'll you'll know what you need to work on mm -hmm. you know uh like i think it's great if you don't know what to work on work on anything so that way you're still developing your craft yeah mm -hmm. i've gotten but, good at that part like of like yeah. a, you know and that's the thing for a writer it's like okay how do you how do you you know because everybody's like oh write what you're inspired to write well what happens if you're like not feeling cre your creative juices aren't flowing well as a professional writer you got to get through it anyway it's your job so like you have to develop the mechanical discipline of sitting down and doing it anyway and like well, eventually like you said eventually the inspiration always comes back you're never gonna you, you know you're not gonna sit there and be like i'm never gonna be inspired ever again like that's ridiculous it's gonna it's gonna yeah. come it's gonna there come was, back um uh what's that woman who wrote like big magic um she has a ted talk i can't remember her name right now but she talks i think it was her it might have been Anne lamott i don't remember which one somebody said uh that that's like one of the things about writing is just the act of like i wish i could attribute this to the correct person i can't i'm sorry but um the act of like sitting down at a desk every day and being in front of like a piece of paper or your laptop or whatever like because not you're not always going to be inspired but you do when you do that you're at least there when the inspiration hits like just show up for it and sometimes you have to wait a really long time for it to meet you but it's better than not showing up for it at all yeah. and not being there when it does hit you and, just kind of got to sit there and and megan i think you can turn that to relationships too right like like that that inspiration will strike right but it's you have to be you have to position yourself to approach that inspiration the correct way yeah yeah the hard part with relationships is it has to be both directions right yeah you're waiting yeah there there needs to be discipline on both ends but that's what's crazy about like that inspiration is like it seems so un like uncontrollable right mm -hmm. it's like one, it's once lightning you, once, in a bottle right yeah it's yeah. lightning in a bottle and, but, and so yeah. but you need to be able to you need to be able to catch you need it. to have their bottle ready yeah yeah like if you don't have yeah. a bottle how are you gonna catch it <laughs> yeah and that's the thing i there are obviously differences in you know versus creative inspiration and relationships but i think both like there are similarities like you're talking about they both teach you I don't know, patience and grace and how to have those with other people yeah. and the universe and yourself. And like, those are, that's, well, I think if you I, can I, pin those down, you're good. I think there are par like parallels though. Like I do think that in order for you to have a successful relationship, there has to be discipline involved. Oh yeah. Like, but yeah, there needs to be, yeah. Like you need to be taking care of yourself. You know, you need to like be emotionally stable and have like uh, an ability to like discern discern what you should and shouldn't be doing you know what yeah. i mean and show up for the other person and show up yeah. for yourself yeah. yeah yeah so so like just it's just it's i mean what you're what you're with art it's just with some ethereal thing that you try to it's both it, i think they're both the same thing i think if you're if you're moving through the world looking for love whether or not it's like romantic love or artistic love like 
like if you're pursuing your life with love, you have to create a discipline to be able to accept it. You know, like you're not going to be, you're not going to be able to accept it if you don't have that discipline. Yeah. It's, I think I've said this before. I don't know where I heard it, but about like manifesting, even if you don't believe in manifesting, there's something, it's just moving through the world with something in mind and something that you want. And even if you're not like, you know, trying to do it in a magical way, just keeping that in your mind and in your heart as you move through the world and make choices, you're just going to get closer and closer and closer to that thing until eventually, hopefully, you find it. The, mani- if you're making choices with that, you know. Manifesting is scary to me because it's like this, it is this thing of like you're setting up a hope, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And hoping is scary. Hope is, is scary. Hope is scary because that the, you know it, it sets you up for what if you don't get that thing, right? or what if you get it and it sucks. <laughs> I mean, she, well, I mean, that's what's interesting about hope, and like this is like biblical, which you know is like the in the Bible it talks about hope like being one like a very important thing, and hope is the things that are unseen or unknown. So it's not the getting of. It's not the getting of the thing that's important. It's the hope, the ability to hope, like in itself is the thing. Like, like I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to get the things you want, but like the fact, like hope itself is the value. Right. Well, getting yeah. the thing that you're hoping for or not getting the thing that you're hoping for is not necessarily what's important. It's that you continue to hope for something. Yes, yes. Like if you get the thing that you were hoping for, find some, you know, you need to, the the feeling of hoping needs to make, you know, the next, you need to hope for the next thing and the next thing. Um, that, again, that's what happens it, that is like scary. This is, That's what's scary for that's me. That's what's scary, yeah. Is like, if you get what you want and then you don't want it, you know what I mean? So like, how do you and that's where i again where i think the discipline comes in right yeah like it's like okay i accomplished this goal but i could sit here like let's let's take like a let's take like a, a an artistic example right like say you book a movie right you book a movie and you make a million dollars right you make a million dollars. Oh, like, it hurts. You did it. <laughs> you did it, right? You made it. But like now you have a lot more options to as to how to live your life and you can go off the rails. You know what I mean? Like, so you have to be able to like rein yourself in and be like, okay, stay the course because otherwise, otherwise your success leads to your ultimate demise. So it's like, you have you have to have developed a discipline. I'm, I'm discipline's the word of the day for me. So discipline, yeah, discipline and hope and second chance. Interesting chances. question. Interesting questions, <laughs> um, guys. I think we've reached a pretty good stopping point for our conversation about the replacements today. Thank you so much for talking about the movie with me. I know it was not a traditional pick. It was not something that was like a big flashy movie. So, you know, to be honest in choosing this movie, cause I had other options. I was thinking, I love, you know, at first I was, I was afraid, 
I mean, I was petrified. Petrified? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking I can never live without you by my side. Cute. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong. And I, I do love, I love a, a dance number. Was <laughs> it was fun. fun. I The yeah. use of the songs that they picked in this movie, I think, were really good. Just to add this a little bit on the end of this conversation. Of like, kind of like what we were just talking about here. That I will survive. Like, like we, even without this thing that I'm hoping for, or the success that I want, or that thing that I've always wanted, I will continue to survive. And that's okay. Like, you know. And then for yeah. me, there is one moment in this movie where I actually get kind of teary-eyed and it's the very end of the movie you know gene hackman's giving a little voiceover but the song we could be heroes is playing oh yeah and that line of that we can be heroes just for one day right it's like and that's like what these guys these guys get this just this 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 is it you guys got it for you got it for one day and that's was fun and that's all you need i think gene hackman's character has a gambling problem oh for sure (laughs) <laughs> oh, if we're just doing like loose ends right now, I would like to formally come out against the two lines that said that's why girls don't play the game. What the yeah, fuck yeah, was that? Yeah. yeah, that was pretty rough. <laughs> Actually, the portrayal of women in this movie They did it twice. <laughs> the portrayal of women in this movie is pretty atrocious. Like Yeah, well, the we strippers, don't need to yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's like what well, what are, well, also, where are we how what about, are we living in? How about the fact that like a guy pulls out a gun and shoots up somebody's car and there's yeah. zero consequences yeah. for it? Well, lots yeah. of great lots of like just flying racism. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's some stuff that could be. But we could be heroes for just a day. We could be heroes forever <laughs> the, and ever. Like the, the whole way they treated the guy that's in prison is like, <sighs> I, I could not stand that. Like, that was pretty rough. I, there's something funny. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like, so his name is Earl Wilkinson, right? But his jersey says Smith. He's So throughout the, the, the gameplay, he, he, they call him Ray Smith. Because oh, he, because he, they, he's not he's because he's supposed to be in jail, be in jail. so they oh, made wow. up a fake identity for him to, oh, so wow. he could play. And so throughout wow. the whole movie, they're calling him. The announcers are calling him Ray Smith, and they're like, "There's not much about Ray Smith. It just says he uh, he's been a, a a resident of the state yeah. of, Mar- <laughs> of Maryland for for five years, and he likes he likes crocheting." Yeah, it's <laughs> so like they, it's, I think it's really funny. I the didn't whole notice movie. they used a different name. Yeah, because yeah. when I was younger, I was like, "Who's Smith and where's Wilkinson?" I thought he was number forty. And then mm. as I got older, I was like, "Oh, they can't say that his real name because yeah. he's supposed to be in prison for yeah. for, for <laughs> fighting the cops, <laughs> Alleg- allegedly killing those cops." Oh <laughs> lord! Yeah, I forgot about all those. Yeah. <laughs> If I saw a cop right now, ooh boy! <laughs> oh my gosh, so silly. Uh, thank you guys, but in all seriousness, for talking about this movie with me, I really enjoyed the the conversation that it kind of it brought up. Uh, you know, as far as like not as many social issues, way more interpersonal issues, which I really like enjoyed. But uh, thank you all out there for listening as well to our talk about the replacements. Before we talk about what's next, we got to give some shout outs. So, Seth, why don't you go ahead and shout out first? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at the Birdie Word on Twitter, X, whatever it is. It's X, dude. T H E B I R D Y W O R D. You can find me on Instagram at Seth Adam Crow. That's S E T H A D A M C R O W E. You can find me on my website, 
sethcrow.com, crow always with an E. And if you're in the Nashville area and you want to check out my one-hour comedy special, This is a Joke, it'll be at Third Coast Comedy Club uh, on September 14th at 9 o'clock. And you can get tickets at thirdcoastcomedy.club. Ricardo Blade Diaz will be the host. That's me! <laughs> I'm going to be there. Woo! Woo! I'll also be there, I think. Yay! Yay. You think if you can get off I work, think, right? Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. yeah. All right, Megan, go ahead and shout yourself out as well. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Megan underscore Jane 61. It's M-E-A-G-H-A-N. Uh, and my writing at Sometimes Songs on Instagram. And I am Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on both TikTok and Instagram. Uh, and you can find this show, the What's It About Film Podcast. We post new episodes every Friday morning, uh, so that's where you can get them on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts. You know, you can find us. Again, the What's It About Film Podcast. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at What's It About Podcast and on TikTok at What's It About Pod. And again, feel free to reach out to us. You know, DM us uh, on one of those sites and uh, let us know what movies you guys might want us to cover. We've done fan-requested films in the past, so... If you really want to hear our thoughts about one of your favorite movies, let us know. And guess what? We'll probably do it. You have a pretty one-to-one direct connection to us. So if you want to see what we're doing, just go ahead and uh, shoot us a message and we'll probably do that. So, But it's time to talk about what's next. And since none of you have requested anything yet, uh, it is Megan's turn. So Megan, what movie are we going to be talking about next week? Okay, so... We are, I wanted to do a horror movie because quick plug for a different movie that we're not doing. I saw the movie Talk to Me last week and I loved it. Please go see it. It's so good. But I wanted to do a horror movie because that like got me back in my horror phase. And uh, we are going to be doing one of like a classic, a modern classic, Jennifer's Body. Oh, <laughs> it, you know what? That movie has gotten a cult following. Mm-hmm. I love it. I don't know like anything about body. it. Oh, I oh. I liked I okay. We'll talk about it when it happens. Yes, one word. We'll talk about it next week. All right, so we're gonna be watching Jennifer's Body. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Jennifer's Body is from 2009. It stars Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. Uh, if you want to watch Jennifer's Body along with us, uh, it looks like it is available to stream with subscriptions to YouTube Pre- Prime Time, Hulu, the Roku Channel, Amazon Prime Video. Uh, and is available to rent on Google Play Movies and TV, Apple TV, and Vudu. So that is where you can check out Jennifer's Body from 2009. Again, that is Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, and I believe it is written uh, by Diablo Cody, if I'm not mistaken. It is written by Diablo Cody. There you go. So it's written by Diablo Cody. So if you're not sure if you're finding the right one, that's the one. All right. Thank you both so much for uh, chatting with me today, and thank you all out there for listening. We will see you again soon. Bye. Adios. Bye.